podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Monday's episode on the Cast. We're going to do a podcast on a Monday and Thursday most weeks. I'm happy to be joined by Paul Rolls, who you'll notice from the blog does weekly columns. Paul, tell us a bit about the Ramblings, and that's what we're going to discuss in the podcast today. Yeah, how you doing, Dale, first of all? Not too bad. I suppose lockdown, trying to stay active, but work is kind of picking up now with the Premier League discussing the return. Yeah, um, it's going to be interesting to see, isn't it? But basically my ramblings are sort of topical pieces at the minute, really. I take a look at what all the news that's happened from Manchester United that's been doing the rounds in the past week or so and um, sort of selecting my favourite ones or the juiciest ones, if you will, to provide a bit of insight to the readers. Today's rambling focused on whether United need a centre-back, really. Um, I mentioned Victor Lindelof in particular. Um, There's been a lot of discussion about whether he is a long-term solution for Harry Maguire. The gossip column linked us with Swansea's Joe Roden, which I thought was quite interesting. Another Ryan Giggs recommendation. And I basically touched upon whether he would fit in with the sort of player we're looking for in comparison with the centre-backs already at our disposal. Mm. So I touched a bit on that. Then I talked about, it's going to create a bit of controversy really, but how... Sir Alex Ferguson, despite all of his greatness, we were incredibly spoiled growing up at that time. Um, whether he, his selection of David Moyes, without any sort of due diligence, due oh, I can't even get my words out, <laughs> fair process, if you will, mm. um, doing the background checks, all, all that sort of stuff, um, whether bypassing that actually led to the fall of his empire, really. Um and obviously, if I was just to finally, there was a piece on Louis Van Gaal. He gave a podcast uh, last week in the Netherlands, and um, basically talked about how he was stunned at his sacking, how Ed Woodward was to blame, sort of backing him, sort of publicly, and then sort of deceitfully uh, kicking him into the can, really, um, and then appointing Jose Mourinho so soon after the FA Cup final win. First, I want to talk about Van Gaal. Then we'll get to the centre-back issue and we'll finish on Ferguson. With, with Van Gaal, there's so many people responsible for what happened during his reign at Manchester United. And he has to take some of the responsibility for that. Um, players got fed up playing under him. They got bored. They, they got sick and tired of the, the, the boring lectures they get. Um, yes. Even via email after after finishing training, they they be asked to kind of study more footage uh, from home, and I know people might argue, well, they're paid so much money, they they should be willing to do that. And that's not footballers don't live like that. Um, he made things very 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 boring for McCarrington, and I've mentioned the results weren't good enough. And I think from reading what 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 you've produced here, it's very similar to what Mark Ogden said on the Sunday supplement. Um, it, in regards to the, the final six months of Van Gaal's reign were dire. The results weren't good enough. And it sounds so naive of him to kind of act as though he didn't see it coming. I absolutely agree. Um, I was I was had perhaps had the un, unfortunate honour of having a season ticket in the Stratford end for the entirety of Van Gaal's reign. Um, there was... After David Moyes, it was just, you know, we saw how he got his Dutch team to operate in the 2014 World Cup with not the best Dutch team by all accounts. Um, 
and United at that time was still transitioning after Ferguson and it was easy to draw the parallels in it and that brought a lot of optimism for United fans that this guy has a proven CV in comparison to David Moyes, he is a winner, he has established philosophies at Ajax and Barcelona, um, albeit with mixed success but um, the way he ran a club was very encouraging and to many fans it was just exactly what we needed after uh, the shambles that David Moyes was. Um, but as you say, it just all unravelled season by season. Um, he he was backed to, to absurd levels. Um, the signings of Di Maria, Falcao, Schneiderlin, Damian, Rojo, I could go on. It was just an absolute shambles. Just, um, just, just to form a, a slight defence of Van Gaal in all this, like Woodward, the person who he blames for a second... He, he takes responsibility too. Um, yes. As Mark Ogden said, that Van Gaal is, is bitter about his exit at Manchester United. I don't blame him because Van Gaal and his staff <clears throat> were given all the encouraging signs for Manchester United in those last few months to prepare for the new campaign. So they were, they were getting targets ready, they were getting their training plans ready for the pre-season tour. This yes. was all in motion. But... During all of this, he was going behind Van Gaal's back and getting a deal ready for Jose Mourinho. Now, I'm not saying at, at the time, I was delighted to have Mourinho come to Manchester United because he was the manager I wanted to replace, Sir Alex Ferguson, and I still believe that would have been the right man to do so at that time. But Van, Ed Woodward does have to take responsibility. Van Gaal also had to take responsibility for the dire football, the dire results. They weren't good enough. And and I, and I also think, with the David Moyes second, and we're going to touch on that with, with with Ferguson. You mentioned that there was no real kind of no real planning, which is Alex Ferguson's word, but 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 what it looks like, and he mm. got the job. But then United obviously acknowledged that because when they appointed Louis Van Gaal and they appointed Jose Mourinho, I'm sure they would have been cautious to the fact they might not have done much work, and they kind of. They changed that policy, but they were still appointing the wrong managers. You know, Van Gaal was was in his sixties, um, mm-hmm. clearly about to retire. United were in transition, so does it make yeah. any sense to get a manager who's about to retire? No, absolutely not. And in, in, in particular, um, in comparison to Louis Van Gaal, there was there were up and coming managers. Um, Maurizio Pochettino um, was is always going to be linked with Manchester United for as long as he's probably a manager. Um, and even after the incredible work he did at Southampton and then he was starting that journey at Tottenham at that time, um, you could see that there was a promising manager there. Um, so, yeah, I totally agree. The Van Hal appointment just, in a way, it, sh- it did show sort of a lack of uh, meticulousness from the Manchester United board in assessing his age, assessing how it, the, whether he's got longevity in the role, whether he can actually produce um, or create a, create a sort of legacy in a way. Mm. Um, I mean, we, we did see kind of glimpses of that. Obviously, um, Van Gaal can be uh, sort of praised for bringing through Marcus Rashford, blooding him from nowhere, um, getting the best out of Anthony Martial, um, giving Jesse Lingard at the time um, a lot of run in the team. So... We, can, we, um, we also shouldn't forget the fact that he was playing Paddy McNair and Tyler Black at a centre-back. I'll always remember. 
I think we played Cambridge United in the FA Cup and, and it was a replay at Old Trafford and McNair played really well in a victory. And um, I think Van Hal said it, I might be wrong on this, but he, he, in his full-time press conference, he mentioned that McNair could be our right back for the next decade. And it was like, what are you smoking, Louis? <laughs> That brings us on you to know, our, our, our topic about the centre-back. Do you know any centre-back? What's your argument, Paul? Well, my argument is that, you know, I, under, I fully understand where certain sections of the supporters are coming from in, in sort of doubting whether Victor Lindelof is Harry Maguire's long-term partner. Um, I mean, let's not, uh, like, beat around the bush. Harry Maguire is going to be here for a long time. He is... He's taken the armband, he's, and with that he's grown and, and gone up levels. Um, so Harry Maguire's place is completely undisputed at Manchester United. Um, but it's it's the recurring question of the his partner beside him. Who is going to be that person going forward to um, sort of give United that solidity at the back? Um, Lindelof, you know... His deficiencies have been clear for a long time. Um, I'll always remember that game at Huddersfield in his opening season where um, a, a route one ball from a goalkeeper, he lets it bounce and uh, they score from it. And um, I've, I've never seen a defender play at this level for Manchester United who I felt just doesn't like defending. I mean, I totally agree. Imagine, imagine your... Troy Deeney mentioned it a few weeks ago on a podcast and he said, he goes out of his way to identify who the weak centre-back is in the, in the opposition. And no doubt he's going to target Lindelof because Harry Maguire is, if not an equal, if, if not better than Deeney in the air. So, it, it, you know, it, it's no secret to Premier League clubs and European clubs for that matter that Lindelof is fallible in the air. Um, there's yeah, no doubt... That, 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 that's my biggest argument too. When, when, when things were going well in the past season, we're out of bed lot better defensively and I was saying you know when we get into the Champions League that's when the likes of Victor Lindelof would be pointed out that would be absolutely torn asunder I think you get to that with Dini they kind of they look they look to strike they look to defenders who are the weak link in yep. Europe I'm afraid Victor Lindelof is going to get torn apart and I think also Harry Maguire would find it very difficult to play alongside him with both of them lacking real real pace Absolutely. And I think in the summer, it's something they need to address. But I don't expect a mega money arrival. I don't expect Koulibaly. I think he could be off to maybe PSG. They're the only club I think that this summer will, will pay an outrageous fee for him. But I wouldn't be surprised if a player like um, the the guy you mentioned in the piece that is playing for Swansea that Ryan Giggs has, has recommended. A player in that kind of bracket that might cost 20 to 30 million, yeah. I think, might come in. Because you need to remember, too, when Mourinho first um, first became manager, the two centre-back signings were Eric Bali and the guy we mentioned, Victor Lindelof, and they came for about 30 million each. The following yep. season, he wasn't happy with them. He wanted to go out and spend big. United wouldn't let him because he'd already spent 60 million on two centre-backs who he had already deemed not good enough. And now we're still in the same situation. I think Lindelof is a good centre-back. But if United, if, if United are planning on winning league titles, I can't see him being at the centre starting centre-back. I mean, 
there's no doubt uh, with Wan-Bissaka and Maguire, our defensive record and amount of clean sheets has, has improved no end. But it, like you say, it's whether, in a way, you can almost carry the extra centre-back, um, be that, do you play an extra defensive midfielder? Um, but United, besides Nemanja Matic, don't really have an out-and-out defensive midfielder as such. Um, so with that, I think you do have to look at the uh, other centre-back. Um, as I said in my piece, uh, I think the absolute world of Axel Tuanzebi, I don't think he actually has a ceiling at United if he stays clear of injuries. I think I genuinely think he is that good. He could, he's got everything to his game. He's quick. He's strong. He, he eats up the ground. He's he's good. He's decent on the ball. Um, but it's heartbreaking though because pretty much even when he was playing for on loan last in Villa and he went through his good spells and had a massive role to play in the promotion um, last season, but he just every season he he gets these lengthy injuries and he's so young and another another Premier League defender in the same boat as him, as him is Joe Gomez and you've seen at Liverpool yeah. now finally. The, they're, they're shoring up their defence this season. Van Dijk, even Lovren, tends to play a lot better. He used to get mocked. And it's got to the stage now where the promising Gomez can't get his way back into the team, whereas two years ago, people would have said, guaranteed future Liverpool centre-back there, um, can play right back too. Very similar to, to Tunzebe. And yep. like, it's actually quite upsetting because I think in Tunzebe, I agree, there's no ceiling for him. He, he's, he's top quality. And it's been said for years. I remember when United came to, to Dublin with the pre-season tour just two or three years ago to play Sampdoria. Yeah. All the talk around the United in Dublin, the people within the club and that, was all about this young fella, Tonzebe, that they were so fucking excited about what he could do. And mm. it was so much to the extent that there was very little talk of another defender we might touch on is Fozu Mensa, who was promising in the U team. But again, bad injury last season at Fulham. And he hasn't got a minute this year. And again, his contract about to run out. So what's what's United? Why, what can United do? I mean, I think Ollie's shown a leap of, leap of faith with Fossey Mensa, hasn't he? I think they actually gave the triggered the extension in his contract for another year at least, just to see if he can to run on to next year. Is it? Yeah, that's okay. right. Okay. Okay. Um, but as you say, he's just been completely ravaged. Has he done his cruciate ligament in? Twice I, in two years. Yeah, it's, it's it's just it's upsetting because like we hear loads of stories here in Ireland about guys from our town who live in the same towns as us, and they had the the world at their feet. They went over to England, had trials, and mm. it just always ends in these knee injuries. And, and I know with the likes of United first team players, I'm expecting sports science and everything is is way ahead of of what guys like us would be um, entitled to but how can you see a way back at that age to be getting such bad injuries and to be then expected to play at the top but not only that they haven't broken into a team yet they're, st- they're on the fringes and Fosse Mentor in particular he, he relies on that sort of the physical aspect he's a, he's a real athlete um, when he's when he's clear of injuries um, really powerful athletic um I always remember Leroy Sané quoting him as his most difficult opponent when he was on loan at Crystal Palace, and that really resonated with me. And it was like, hold on a minute, we've got a player here. Um, he he's been very unlucky too with the managers he's had while out on loan. Yeah. Like um, Frank De Boer was an absolute disaster um, yes. when when he came in, and I think he was the manager that actually took 
frozen rents of the Palace on loan, which yeah. you have to consider then the new manager coming in, he's going to be totally opposite to Frank De Boer. He's probably not going to trust the players that Frank De Boer has brought in. And like, it, that's when you send players out on loan and, and this happens, it's just it's a disaster. And United, United can't necessarily just say, um, OK, we're not really happy with that managerial appointment because, one, it has nothing to do with us. But, but, but it does affect the development of our young players. It goes back to the planning as well, doesn't it? I mean, when, when young players are, are being sort of touted for loan moves, for Manchester United should be looking at um, sort of the credentials of, of the prospective club and saying, right, in, in Fossi Mensa's case, he was playing for his compatriot, Frank de Boer, fellow Dutchman. Um, Palace were looking to take it a new direction. In theory, he was there for the long term. Um, so at the time, it... It seemed a reasonable, good, reasonably good move for Fossi Mensah, but as you say, I mean that De Boer side for Crystal Palace to be, be winless after seven games, didn't score until the eighth match, I think. Yeah, it was a disaster. It was it, it was just basically. I think Frank De Boer came, and to his credit, he, he deserves he, he deserves a bit of, I guess, a, a, a pat in the back. He 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 probably knows more about. He's probably forgotten more about football tactics than I'll ever know. But he came to England with a total arrogant streak that his way of playing football would work. And even Guardiola, I'm sure, has has had to adjust his tactics within the game when he went to Germany, when he went to England. But Frank Frank de Boer totally ignored that and really, really felt felt the price of it. Um, But yeah, we're going to finish up talking about your segment on Alex Ferguson. Because this this will cause a stir. Um, I'll I'll share my my beliefs shortly, but it it goes back even, I guess, further than the story that you bring up that Sir Alex Ferguson kind of put Manchester United, the club in in whole, in bother. Um, there was a certain horse rocket Gibraltar, and a, mm. a disagreement over that, which unfortunately led to the takeover of of the Glazer family. Now, of course. When mentioning this, you have to bring up the fact that we were spoiled throughout our youth. Um, Sir Alex Ferguson brought so much success to Manchester United. 13 league titles, two Champions Leagues. You know, the, the list goes on. But there are moments, and I think it's totally fine to, to raise them, that leave a bit of a nasty taste in, in my mouth anyway. But uh, the, the Rocket Gibraltar case and the Glazer one, it, 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 I think, is, is far worse than the one we're about to discuss with David Moyes. Like, you know, <laughs> the Glazer family coming in, David Moyes coming in, two different situations. Yeah. But I'm raising the point that it's okay to, to talk about Alex Ferguson's flaws because without his flaws, he probably wouldn't have, been, wouldn't have become the greatest manager of all time. Yeah, you're probably right there. I mean, we, we have to take the rough with the smooth, I guess. Um, and, and that those sort of politics with... with um, the horse dispute and all that sort of thing um, was certainly the absolute start of the of the uh, collapse of Manchester United in terms of um, the Glazers coming into power. Um, it was Fergie's brilliance, really, that sort of masked those sort of yeah. shortcomings at Manchester United. Um, I, just a further point on that, I was actually, uh, to pass the time, I was actually watching Premier League years yesterday. Um, it was the... 
07-08 season where United were arguably at the peak of their powers in terms of one of the best sides of all time. Um, And um, I was just reflecting on the sort of quality of the player we had. I mean, we had... We had Ronaldo, we had Rooney, we had Tevez, who was, who, of course, his ending, his exit from United was acrimonious, but he was he was actually fantastic and very underrated for United in that season, and um, and then a couple of seasons later, to go from that, we sell Ronaldo, and no disrespect to Antonio Valencia, but you know, it, it's no patch on Ronaldo, and um, we signed Michael Owen on a three, we signed Gabriel Oberton. <laughs> and that that was the only major business we did after we sold Ronaldo and Tevez went to City which was a further a bitter pill to swallow as well um, so that can be attributed to the Glazers and, and Ferguson could only deal with the hand that he got um, and it somehow managed to still create title after title and so in a sense perhaps it was a bit overreactionary to say that Ferguson started this decline but from a mere um, footballing perspective Ferguson was you know just incredible but um, Paul I don't think the dog is happy with your Colin segment on on, on Ferguson (laughs) (laughs) just bear with me yeah no worries so the the dog has got his delivery um (laughs) You were saying about, about Fergie. Yeah, um, basic, basically, um, from a mere footballing perspective, I think the, the decision in itself to appoint David Moyes was a, an absolute disaster. Um, I don't think Ferguson should have had the divine right to handpick his successor. It was the most... I can't think of any more critical appointment in football in history than trying to replace Sir Alex Ferguson. Can you? No, no, definitely not. And I, 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 this comes to the point that I wanted to make about this was, I think, Ferguson's decision will be reflected on negatively nine times out of ten. I think Ferguson, behind it all, underestimated the job he was doing and his greatness. Mm. I think over the years, winning became norm. I think w- building winning sides to him... It might have seemed difficult to managers everywhere else, but he was doing it time and time after again. And I thought that he felt with, with, with just being Manchester United manager and the biggest club in the world, you can attract the best players. And I think he totally underestimated the fact that this was the biggest job in the history of football, taking over the yeah. greatest manager. But still, it that doesn't quite war with the, the fact that he gave it to someone who has never won a Premier League title it was t- 10 years at Everton and won no trophy you know people talk about how good he was at Everton but if you talk to Everton fans I don't think they they really kind of bask in, in glory over, over David Moyes' reign it was okay they, 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 functional weren't they yeah they were they were okay they were okay with it it wasn't it wasn't quite as bad as, as how it turned out with Roberto Martinez or how it's been since but it was okay they were stable that's not Manchester United, so I don't understand the thought process behind that of how he thought maybe David Moyes could do could, could do his job. But I do think he underestimated. I, I I don't I don't I don't feel I don't feel strongly negative towards him for that because I, I think it was a it was a mistake. 
I feel a, li a little bit more negative about the, the politics in which he created around a horse and that put Manchester United into a lot of bother with, with the Glazer family. Absolutely. I, have a, I, have, I do have a bother with that. But then again, after the takeover, as you said, he was able to, to mask that and, and keep Manchester United successful and, and brought me the, the best years of my life. Do you know what and I mean? So, yeah. yeah you know, so it's, it, it, it's actually it's a difficult situation for my United fans to, to be in when they were talking about Alex Ferguson because no one, no one wants to show any disrespect to someone who's been a, a massively... Oh, no. no, no one does. Massively important figure in all of our lives. But you can point out the flaws and I suppose the important way to do it is, is your tone and your message in doing so. Um, which I think is, is the case in, in many factors. But... But yeah, look, I, your your ramblings piece goes out every Monday morning, um, touches on four to five topics per week and what's kind of big in the media. As you mentioned juicy bits. Check that out every Monday morning on straightynews.com. Um, we also have an interview which I'm going to play segments of it for the rest of the podcast with a with Navid, a Barcelona fan and someone that watches a lot of the Masia products in their youth youth teams. So he's going to speak about Mark Jorda, who's about to join Manchester United. The 16-year-old rejected a, a, a professional contract from Barcelona not long ago, um, which I think is quite surprising. Obviously, he wants to go down the route of Gerard Pique and sets Fabregas by moving to the Premier League to, to reach that stage of football stardom. But um, for this part, Paul, really appreciate you coming on and, and, and sharing your thoughts on a few of the topics that have been bubbling this week. Not a problem. It's a pleasure as always, Dale. And uh, just want to wish yourself and um, the listeners and, and readers of Straight News all the best in these difficult times. It's, um, it's it's really difficult at the minute to kind of keep a level of sanity. So um, doing stuff like this is is an absolute pleasure for me to sort of provide that escapism for the fans. So yeah, just want to get those best wishes out there. Thanks a million, Paul. And just a reminder: this podcast was recorded before. The outcome of the Premier League's meeting over Project Restart. Thursday's podcast with Mike will definitely touch on what's going to happen in the coming days by then. So thanks for listening. Make sure to check out Straighty News Patreon at patreon.com forward slash Straighty News. That includes a full video interview with Navid, who I'm about to speak to on the podcast. So um, we'll see you again later on in the week and stay safe. Thank you. So it reports last week suggesting that Manchester United will be making another youth signing. 16-year-old from Barcelona, Mark Jordan. Now I'm probably pronouncing that wrong and I will continue to do so until he, he, he signs for Manchester United and we hear him on commentary on MUTV or something. But just to get some background on him, I'm joined by a Barcelona fan, Navid, who was recommended by a number of people to speak about Barcelona's youth. So I'm just hoping to get a bit of, a, a bit of background on the player. Navid, how are you? I'm good, thanks, Dale. How are you? Not too bad. How are you finding the lack of football at the moment and missing Barcelona's youth? Uh, it's pretty. Uh, it's pretty tough. And actually, the 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 youth leagues are all finished. Like okay. they're not gonna. Uh, they're not gonna continue again. Like the. I mean, I mean, Barca have been crowned champions uh, in in a lot of the youth leagues now. So it's the season is over. Sweet it's uh, it's pretty. I think just before we get on to this, you look at um. <clears throat> The story that that this presented to me about Mark Jorda is that he was offered a professional contract at Barcelona. He didn't yeah. agree that agree on that, and it kind of when I was writing my piece, it was like he wants to take the roots of football stardom of like Cesc Fabregas and maybe Gerard Piquet by going to the Premier League first. But also, 
there must be a reason behind that. Why why does he not want to stay at Barcelona? Mm. Is he good enough? Uh, no, he's definitely good enough. He's uh, he's actually he must be the best uh, right back in La Masia this season. He's he's exploded at the under 17s uh, this year. Uh, he scored five goals, I think. Um, it's pretty decent for a right back. I mean, mid mid season is pretty good for a right back, um, and he he has been excellent. And and in fact, Barca have offered him a pretty good contract. Um, but he didn't get the the same offer as the best players of the team. So there are a couple of, I mean, a couple of the like attacking stars and like midfield stars. They've they've been offered to promotion to the under 19s, while he's only off, been offered normal promotion to the under 18s. Um, but he like the economic offer that he's gotten is is very very good, and he he he's rejected, and he's been at Barca since like since he was eight. Are these are, are these is this is this a concern? Because if he comes to Manchester United, like is he, is he quite like for a sixteen year old, he's making a massive decision. Now I'm not saying it's it's a bad one, but he's at Barcelona, La Masia, yeah. one of the one of the greatest youth academies in world football. Uh, yeah. As you said, he's he's been offered a, a good deal. Again, why move on? But then you look at the likes of um, Jadon Sancho at Borussia Dortmund, and at a young age he made that. Um, jump to 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 Borussia Dortmund and got more first team football. So maybe it could be a matter of seeing mm. Manchester United as, as an easier option to get into. But as a right back, Aaron Wan-Bissaka, he's very very good. <laughs> yeah, I mean, at, at, at Barca, like there aren't many good right backs. Not 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 with the under 19s not with Barca B, not with uh, <laughs> first team. So like he. <laughs> um, he would he would definitely be uh, like there would be a path for him. To, to make his way to the first team for sure. <coughs> yeah, I th- excuse me. I think that sorry, I think that I think that the main reason that he's he's leaving is is he's drawn to the foreign adventure. Mm. That's so the 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 reason um, behind the move, according to the 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 La Masia journalist that I'm in regular contact with, who's who who was the one who broke the story, uh, was that despite these despite the good offer and despite the fact that he's very attached to the club and and whatever he's he's decided to to uh to to, to like um to go on this english english adventure um so and and of course uh, financially it it's all it's it must be a it, he must get a good deal as well at, at united but but I, I mean financially he's he's um I mean, he he got a good, a good financial offer for, from Barca as well. So I think it's definitely the the foreign adventure that that's that's driving him. You mentioned there are players in the team considered better than him in midfield and up front, and are probably on better and bigger deals and have been promised to play on the 19s next season. But as a Barcelona fan, are you kind of kicking yourself that you could be losing out on a, a top talent, or are, is your attitude it's going to be plenty of fish in the sea in La Masia? And not at right back, so I'm pretty, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm not too fond of this because I mean we we don't have good right backs, and yeah. he he's been extremely good this season. We have tons of good midfielders, you know. I mean, even though the the ones who are um, who are renovating, uh, I mean, who are renewing, are uh, like maybe probably the best two talents in the entire academy. So that's of course extremely uh, important and. Uh, we've already like celebrated the the renewals of them, so so that's important. But but we forget that actually from this team, which is perhaps the best Lamasia team 
the best generation at this moment in the academy. Now we've lost our right back to Manchester United and our left back to the to Manchester City, and and both of them are like uh, among the best fullbacks in in the entire club. I mean, most talented fullbacks. So it's it's a bit um, it's it's pretty annoying because fullbacks are. I mean, you would know it as well. It, it, I mean, they're terrible positions on the market uh, internationally. I mean, you can't find any like extremely good right backs just out of the blue. I mean, you have to you have to either develop your own or spend a lot of money. Mm. Yeah, well, even in England, you can see now in the Premier League the importance, the, the shift of importance to the right to the fullback. You look at Trent um, Alexander Arnold at Liverpool, and he's almost a playmaker, a right back. You know yeah, exactly. the, the amount of goals that he that he that he creates and stuff. It's it's crazy, but but yeah, I've seen I've seen a few clips of of Mark Jorda, uh, and the reason I asked John is because looking at clips on YouTube and that it doesn't give me the full the full picture of a player. You know, bits bits can be edited and the best bits thrown in and stuff. He does seem to like to get forward quite a lot. Is he an attack yeah, minded? Very attacking. Now he's just very explosive. Okay. Like he's he's very dynamic. I mean he's he's not like he's not like the very ele- elegant dribbler or anything. Mm-hmm. Like just he blasts forward, and that's also the reason why he's very dangerous on set pieces. Okay. Uh, he, he he just takes three kicks. Yeah. No 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 he he he's at the end of them. He okay. like, scores headers and and stuff like that. I mean most of the goals that he scored actually most of the goal, he, the goals that he has scored are either long shots or headers. Okay. So, and he's very good with with both his feet so he's he's someone who can cut inside and shoot as well. Well obviously Manchester United are looking at this point of view that they want to be the next team in the Premier League to get one of Barcelona's best young players you know cuz you, you look. You look at some of the players that I've watched, even not just players in Barcelona in the Premier League in recent years, and the the, the impact the likes of David Silva has had in the Premier League. Um, I remember back before he joined Man City, United were, were quite linked with him and David Villa at the time. He went on to play for Barcelona. Yeah. Um, and he came in, and it's just I love players like that. They're just they're just small, really petite little players. But they're like little magicians. Yeah. Um, David Silver was just brilliant, but now we have something like that in Bruno Fernandez, I guess. But just um, to talk about Barcelona, because it's of, in, of interest. Um, what what do you need in the transfer window? Whatever happens with the pandemic, and if if money is spent, what what would you be going into the market for for next season? Mm, I mean, you mentioned right backs at youth level, but. Yeah, but, I mean, we're probably going to try to get some right backs at youth level, perhaps. Yeah. I mean, we actually tried to sign um, like one of the most talented uh, right backs in the world, actually, uh, Jan Couto, uh, Brazilian right back who who was a star at the under nineteen World Cup, uh, under under twenty World Cup, no, under seventeen World Cup last year, and and Barca were this close to signing him, and he was. Like like many just adopt him the new next Dani Alves, but he he went to Manchester City at the last moment, uh, so we lost out on him. But like the current Barca board are very fixated on getting uh, Neymar back, uh, either Neymar or Lautaro Martinez from Inter. So <laughs> yeah, PSG cut yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but but I, I don't think they're going to get Neymar back. But but I think there's a proper chance that they'll get Martinez from from Inter. I think and looking I think, at Neymar, look, there's there's no denying one of the best players in the world. Um, 
But I just feel, even as an outsider, Barcelona can't spend too much time playing around with that deal. You have to move on. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I don't want him back either. Like, either, even though he's a terrific player, but but he he absolutely betrayed the club, and he's even filing a lawsuit against the club, and he wants to come back. Like, yeah, it's yeah. it's ridiculous, you know. That, that that sounds like a Netflix documentary in its own, to be honest. Um, <laughs> yeah. So, so just just before we wrap it up, um, a story that's kind of done the rounds at Manchester United for two years in regards to Paul Pogba. Um, mm. Barcelona were linked maybe a year ago. They were popping up in the press every now and again, but I don't think it was ever quite concrete. Um, and in the, in the last few months, it's been kind of Real Madrid and Juventus, who we discussed in the podcast, are now kind of lowering their interest. They're kind of stating they're not going to spend money and that Paul Pop would have to lower his demands. As a Barcelona fan, someone that's been, I think, spoiled with some fantastic players, midfield players, before I get your thoughts on a, a potential transfer, what are your thoughts on Paul Pogba? as a midfielder, as one of the best players in the world. Do you put him up in that category? Mm, I mean, one of the best midfielders in the world, for sure. Mm. Uh, but even though I don't, I don't follow, um, I don't follow Manchester United regularly, yeah. so I don't, I don't get to see him that often. Well, he, um, he, doesn't, he doesn't play very often. He's only played eight games this season. <laughs> he's been very injured, yeah. Uh, but but I, I remember in 2015, when he was at Juventus, Barca, where they were publicly... Uh, interested. I mean, they even sent a delegation to Juventus, um, where they where they were like public, like we are at Juventus. Like there were official pictures of them, the, the Barca delegation and the Juve uh, um, sporting directors, and they were discussing him. And and at the end, he he didn't join. Um, and now I don't think there's any possibility of him joining. Um, I've, I've seen the rumors with Madrid, and especially it's a, it's a bit of a, an issue with regards to the economic de- uh, demands. I mean, he's earning a lot at at, at United. Um, so, I mean, it's it's definitely out of the question for Barca. I, I, I think Barcelona's whole transfer approach in the past few years has left me very puzzled. Um, some of the signs, like. Uh, I know Polinio turned out to be. I watched him. He, he turned out to be an okay signing for a season or two, but it was, yeah. he was he was one of those signings that kind of was scratching my head. As the Barcelona that became a powerhouse in Europe, those signings would not have happened. And so I have to ask, what's what what the fuck has happened to Barcelona? <laughs> I mean, they've um, I don't know. They've just they've just um, they've they've went a bit away from the the original philosophy, and, and like fans are just getting extremely tired of them but like, I'd say fans like you that invest a lot of time into La Masi and, and researching and watching players yeah signing old players even even Fidal was a weird signing for yeah, Barcelona yeah. it felt weird and he was a player I wanted at Manchester United but there's a certain player in my mind that I linked to Barcelona and these guys uh, they, they, don't, they don't I wouldn't even sign him for F- on FIFA for Barcelona no exactly I mean and and it's it's extremely um it's extremely frustrating when they're signing older uh, midfielders who don't really suit the playing style because midfielders are the, are, are the players that La Masia produces the most of like they good midfielders. They link everything. They link everything. Yeah, exactly. So, so like whenever they sign an older young guy, uh, young man, an older, an older, an older midfield, old, old midfielder. Um, I mean, there's just going to be less chances for the midfielders. And currently, there's a like the most um, promising young player at the moment, just waiting to get his shot at 
at the first team. He's turning 21 this year. And he, he, he has to become a regular first-team player if, he, if he's going to do something at the club. And he's a midfielder. He's an attacking midfielder. And players like, even the players that have been there for some time, but who, who just aren't going to leave. I mean, hopefully they're going to leave, like someone like Rakitic. Mm. Uh, but Vidal as well. Like Vidal and Rakitic, for example, they just have to leave to make space for, for the younger players because... Well, and, and, Andres Pereira was talking during the week about playing for Real Madrid or, or, or uh, Barcelona. I think if Rakitic leaves, you're more than welcome to take him if you want. <laughs> I saw I saw a lot of jokes on, on Barca Twitter about Pereira. I mean, who... like I know, I know Pereira because I followed Granada when he was for a season... And he was he was actually pretty decent, um, but but no, I would I would never consider him. <laughs> Look, <laughs> he, thanks so he much. A lot of confidence. <laughs> thanks so much to co- for coming on. Just before we let you go, Mark Jorda, it hasn't been um, confirmed or announced yet, but mm. I, I think when it comes to the stories on you, there's not going to be much speculation. Papers aren't going to get many clicks out of these stories. But do you think Manchester United have a have a future right back in him? Mm, yeah, I think I think there's a there's a there's a, there's a possibility for sure. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not informed on on the the youth right backs at, at United, but I uh, but I could definitely imagine him like coming coming into the academy with a lot of confidence, coming from a like an extremely good season he's had. Actually, he's like, that's actually the word that the journalists are using. He's actually exploded. Yeah. Okay. Um, and he was a good talent last season as well, but but like this season, he's just exploded. So I think he's gonna he's gonna come in with an extreme amount of energy and confidence. And and I don't know if he's gonna play with your under 19s or, or under 18s. I could imagine him him have gotten like I could imagine him getting a, a shot at the under 19s perhaps. Um, but. But yeah, I could I could imagine him. I mean, of course, it's it's, it's very difficult for for talents to to get proper chances in in England because there's just a lot of signings all the time and yeah. it's money a massive involved. influx every summer, isn't it? You know, you exactly. have so many kids. Like last year, we took three players from Ajax, and yeah. as a as a fan, you kind of get excited because like Barcelona, Ajax have a fantastic academy. But realistically, yeah. every season. We sign a young player from Ajax or a Barcelona or another top club, and yeah. it's just excitement. And then it kind of dwindles after a while if they, if they don't hit the ground running. Like he's 16 yeah. years of age, he's about yeah. to leave a country which he's from, uh, familiar surroundings, and go to rainy Manchester, and that's going to take a bit of time for him to adjust. So he, you know, it, there's a lot of factors in this. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's not just about the football, of course. It's a, it's a completely different environment. He's been at Barca since he was eight, as I said. Mm. And that's Barca's academy. The I mean, the academy. I mean, he's he's probably been at like the footballing schools around yeah, the country course. before as well. So he's he's just completely used to to a, a different environment that that he's going to join now. So, but I think he has a lot of confidence and he's going to come come in with with a lot of energy. And he's he's also one of the captains of his team at Barca. So he. He has some leader, leader, uh, leadership qualities as well. So I don't think, I think if, I mean, a player like him is someone who could easily just adjust very fast. Like just like someone like Eric Garcia at at Manchester City, who just came on as a 16-year-old for the under 19s and and become one of their captains instantly. Like yeah. it, was, it was insane. Some players and, have that aura about them. You know, exactly. Matthias Delitt at Ajax too when he exactly, was there. Yeah. 
you know, exactly. age doesn't really matter if you can do it, you can do it. But Navid, look, an absolute pleasure to speak to you. Um, yep. with a roundup on Barcelona, really insightful, and I enjoyed that because a lot of people, when when they see United were linked with Mark Jota, and it's, this is a thing with Twitter. I'm sure all fans have it, but they they play FIFA or Football Manager, and and they're experts. You know, so it's nice <laughs> to actually speak to someone who watches a bit of you football at Barcelona. So thanks for coming on. Uh, you're welcome, Bill. Thanks for having me. Sports Social Podcast Network.